First of all, just to understand the way that we're wired is we want to be a service. Why? Because we want to be loved and accepted. We want a sense of belonging. That's prime as humans, right? We're doing what we can, people pleasing, perfectionism, all of this. You know, fundamentally, we just want to like look really good for people because we want to basically fit in. These are just basic principles of any mammal system where you want a sense of belonging. So notice that and then go, okay, how good am I at receiving? How good am I at listening to what other people say? Whether it's like complimentary or it's derogatory, it doesn't really matter. Can I be big enough of a human being to actually listen to what somebody's saying and just be with it? It's really good to see you. Um, oh, nice to be here. We finally made it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Hi guys. Hey Kelly. Kelly Gulls. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So now I feel like you know our energetic powers are making sure everything is in flow now. People are Indeed. messaging me on my text. I don't know if you have that app that people can message you. And I'm always I get these messages. They're like. I can't see you. I can't hear you. Um, I'm trying to log on and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Ask Instagram. <laughs> do you have a second phone then? Like, how do you do the Instagram live? Is that on a phone or are you doing that? No, on this, is, this is on a phone. This is okay. on a phone. And then, well, this is like on a phone that it's kind of like an older phone. So maybe that's Got it, got it. And then so you're, just, have, you're, like, you're, dub, you're double fisting on the phones. I, I totally am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, so Peter, I gave a quick introduction. It wasn't really what it should be because I try to do all these things, but yeah, can you do it a little better, please? That was yeah. a little bit shabby. That was pretty, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, so first and foremost, you guys, this is Peter Crow. He is an extraordinary human being, and someone that I truly, when I go through my gratitude list of energies and beings that are in my life, he's definitely one of them. I'm so grateful for his presence, for his guidance for his wisdom and everything that he's done, um, just what he does for our world and what he does to help all of us. And if you follow him, which if you don't, you absolutely should right now, as soon as we're done with this and go follow him. He's just wisdom bombing all the time. And he does incredible podcasts <laughs> and people are always like, you changed my life. So he's gonna do a little bit of that for us today. He is going yeah. to show us his wisdom, change your life a little bit. And Peter, would you, do me the honor of yeah. introducing yourself to this audience, and I'm sure half of which already know you, um, and then maybe some haven't yet, but they're here to get to know you, because they definitely have pages of questions that yeah. came in. Awesome, can't wait to get through them. Well, I mean, you know, I used to be called the Mind Architect, but now I've gone to the Wisdom Bomber, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, like the, uh, I like the upgrade. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm always humbled uh, when I get the opportunity to join anyone's platform and their audience. And I know you have some very engaged uh, followers who love what you do. And I feel blessed to have you in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm here to be of service. You know, I'm not one to talk about myself very much. I'm not too good at that. But I certainly love to listen to people's inquiries and questions and do whatever I can to sort of shift that perspective, right? So my... Mm -hmm. My gift is really to help reframe things so that we look through new eyes. It's one of my favorite quotes by uh, Marcel Proust, where he says that the journey of true discovery 
lies not in finding new lands, but in looking through new eyes. So that's basically what I do is I help people to have a different perspective so that whatever was previously maybe perceived as challenging or a struggle or a problem, all of a sudden the circumstance can be the same, but you no longer have an emotional reaction to it. So you find freedom and freedom, love and a greater sense of possibility. These are my products for people. So. If anyone's on here listening right now and you want any of that, well, you're in the right place. Yes, we, we raised Peter's just entirely too humble. Um, <laughs> he does in service. And, you know, I think that that's why we connect so much because we just exchanged, uh, you know, a uh, conversation just, I think it was last night, just about how it's so beautiful that we can support each other and that what we do is so rooted in love and what we do is so rooted in service. But yeah. I'd like everyone to know and realize that what your journey did start with pain and trauma, you know, and that's something that I feel that when people see where you're at now, they, for, they don't realize that that journey had a beginning, right? Um, yeah. And that because of that, because of that journey, it led you to this place where you came to realize how much the mind influences you know, our health, our bodies, and you've worked so much with Ayurvedic healing to kind of mitigate that. Um, And that's been something that's been so powerful and helpful and attainable for people, especially during this time and during this year. So even though you don't like talking about yourself, if you could share just a little bit about that so people can just have a little bit of that background. Sure. How you got to here. Yeah, so, we, we all we all have our crosses to bear and um so i'm not special in that regard but i did have you know a bit of a bit of a tough introduction to being human uh, my mom she she passed when i was seven of cancer and mm-hmm. uh, then my dad went to work one day when i was 17 he worked on what we call ferries so the, the big boats that go between england and france and england and belgium and um he never came back because the boat collapsed and he was one of the the few hundred that passed. So that was pretty tough. You know, I'm 17, being orphaned, I was an only child. So at that point in my life, it was just pure survival, right? I was just jammed into the experience of complete isolation and loneliness. And so I think that's why I also learned to have such an amount of compassion for people because even though people might be in relationships, they may still have family members, they may have a community that supports them. The ego, which is what I'm helping to transcend, its experience is of isolation, right? So there's this I that we have in our head, the idea of myself that I can't do this, or I'm not this, or no one loves me. It's that I that I sort of had a visceral experience of being literally by myself. And it's the, I would say it's the most um, disturbing and painful position for anyone to be in is complete isolation from the whole, right? So I, you know, now when I work with people, I just have so much patience and compassion to realize that what they're up against isn't necessarily the circumstances of their life, but they're looking through the lens of separation, which gives them then the experience of fear, which of course a lot of people are feeling right now with the whole COVID stuff. So uh, it's just, you know, for us all to have a little bit more patience, kindness and compassion with each other to realize that regardless of what we've been through, um, we're all carrying some degree of suffering and, and, and trauma. So uh, that was just a great, you know, not a great in terms of the subjective experience of it, but it was a great introduction to what it meant to be really loving and accepting of people's uh, hardship. Uh, 
And thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I, I think that there were a few people obviously that had already commented that they didn't realize your background. And I was yeah. because my journey also began in that place. But um, it feels like for a lot of people, that is how their journey to awakening or having that sort of mental freedom comes from. It's for some reason, it's almost like that that catalyst that people need. But if you don't, if you're, if you're, let's say you have clients that are, we work with people, you and I both work with people that have um, maybe depression or issues with their physical body or their emotional bodies. But let's say someone is listening to this and they don't necessarily feel like they have that kind of negative catalyst for lack of a better word, you know, not negative, yeah. but um, right. what can they do to kind of tap in to continue to sort of free different aspects of their mind that they're not yet aware of. Does that make sense? Do you mean if somebody's like, doesn't have the external catalyst of trauma? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't um, want to, I don't want to alienate people who don't feel like they, you know, have these negative traumas. They feel like right now they're navigating COVID. Okay. They're navigating yeah. what's going on. Okay. They're not sick. They feel like they're going, you know, that they, they have a mindset that is serving them. But, you know, if there isn't that negative callus, I think that from what you've shared, there's always more, right? Like that, that, like there's always, you're, you're never, you're never all the way there. You can always continue to free, continue to elevate. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of ironic, right? That we live in a world of contrast, right? We live in the world of duality. This, 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 paradigm is by virtue of its nature so that we can experience we have to have relativity right right so if you're lying in bed one night and it seems hot you move your leg to the side and it feels cold but only relative to where it was so mm -hmm. even though i love the intention of your question in order for me to help somebody you know whether it's conceptually right now as a group or in you know like i just came from shooting a, a tv thing for Actually, it was, it was amazing with uh, one of the superstars from the WWE of all industries, oh, a wrestler. Yeah. An amazing, beautiful, like her name's Natty, uh, Ryan mm -hmm. Hart. She's one of the superstars for WWE. So they asked me to come and work with her. She'd gone through some tough, you know, things. And that whole industry, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who've had some very tough upbringings. But mm -hmm. so there's one-on-one -on -one, and it was very powerful. She's a beautiful soul. And I just helped her sort of clean out some of the debris from her history. And now she's mm -hmm. got this whole new sense of freedom about her, which is so exciting. But um, the point being, it's almost like we need to have something to work with. <laughs> okay, fair like, enough, fair enough. So it doesn't have to be the extremes of like abuse or addiction or, you know, real trauma, but it, there's got to be something that you're aware of that you feel your perception is that it's not working in your life, right? It's not that it's not working but your perception is that it's not working or I don't want this or I'd rather something else that it's, you know, if you think about it's one of my more, you know, Zen Cohen, do you know that term, a Zen Cohen? Mm, yes, and I so it's sort of a, it's, about it. Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of one of these self-reflecting perspectives. It's a bit philosophical where you can't really come to the answer. Mm -hmm. So I always say to, or I say to a lot of my clients, you know, of all the things that you're not actually focused on, which ones are bothering you the most, right? Mm -hmm. So. When you, you're like, wait, what? Like, so what you realize is if you're not thinking about it, it's not quote unquote bothering you. The only thing that's actually upsetting you is something that you're aware of, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So we have to, we have to actually have something to work with. So that's why I can sit here and philosophize and talk about my highfalutin wisdom and, you know, all of these highly intelligent, like perspectives on life. But it's much easier, it's much more fun, actually, and more powerful to get into the nitty gritty of someone's life. Like, what are they actually up against? Because that is the access point for me, at least, to see, oh, wow, your symptoms are revealing the deeper root cause of your subconscious programming. So it's not because you lost your job. It's not because your spouse, you know, just cheated on you. It's not because you've got some sort of health diagnosis you don't want. I'm not saying any of those things are fun, but they're not the problem. They're just life. That's just life, right? It's what are you doing with it? What is it eliciting and what is it revealing about the deeper fears of how you try and survive life? Mm -hmm. That's where the treasure lies. Well, there's, I mean, we have a boatload of things that we can address. All right, let's get in the boat. We have social anxiety (laughs) questions. We've got questions about jealousy. We obviously, and everything, again, as we know, is rooted in fear of some sort. Um, The reason why I asked that one is because I did have a few comments that said, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm fine, you know, and, but I still want to tune in. And so I thought, okay, that was unusual. Let me address that. You know, you feel like this may not be, but you want to tune in. So let's address that. Um, but yeah, we have so many questions, you know, how do you, how do you remove trauma because the trauma is causing brain fog? And this is, this is a quoted question because that's that person's interpretation. Yeah. What trauma is doing insecurity, jealousy, fear, um, anger right. okay. so so you can dive into any of those and that may be lumped in an answer from you so. yeah so I, I want to address the first part which is you know it's a great question when someone says I'm fine right mm-hmm. so we could if we were to look at say health because it's easier it's a physical thing it's obviously part of your realm I'm very passionate about health I'm an Ayurveda practitioner I was a trainer for years a yoga teacher blah 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 so I love all of the mind body connection in terms of like let's have health in the whole system right like let's have peace of mind but let's have vitality of body so if you look at the sliding scale of physical health we could say okay at the far end when we're in a state of dis-ease or physical disease then sure there's something to focus on so that's really where people come to me with whatever they think their problem is then the person who wrote in and said well i'm kind of fine you could say that's somebody who's in the middle who doesn't really have any symptoms or they don't have any current sort of issues there's no pathology in their physiology but there is the option of going to a much more optimized state does that make sense yes so that's what i love personally for me like i don't take pharmaceutical products i'm not sick thank god but i am super passionate about how can i take this meat soup and make it even more optimized right so i think psychologically just to address at least want to speak to that question just because you don't have an issue, there is an opportunity to look at, okay, how could I be more loving? How could I be more patient? How could I be more kind? How could I be more compassionate? How can I be more inspiring? You know, so rather than trying to react to something you don't want, you start to focus on what do you want to create, which is a very powerful place to be. And most people, let's face it, mentally and physically, are sort of in the negative bucket of like, there's some issue or some issues, right? Right. So it's great that someone's asking that question. Awesome. So look at the opportunity to upgrade every aspect of your life, not because there's a problem, because you have an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first part of the question. Yeah, that's good. Okay, good. I hope that helps. So um, Kate, clean in the house. 
Um, I, just, I love. I just love seeing how many of these people I actually uh, recognize. Um, so, with regards to the energy of, um, you know, you mentioned a few things, right? So, you yeah. look at trauma. You said, how do we remove trauma? You talk about anger. You talked about jealousy. And you talked about fear. So, I would say, you know, they're all bedfellows. The, the the emotions of jealousy, fear, and anger to me they're all they're all sort of part of the same construct of how we respond to trauma. So I think there's sort of two different things. Trauma is actually it's just a word. I'm not a big fan of trauma, but it does point to okay, we went through something when we were younger usually, and fundamentally we weren't able to process it. So that's really the way I look at it. It's not so much a trauma, and that's not in any way you know. To belittle or condone the things that people have been through people have been through horrific things mm -hmm. but i want you to consider even when we say it's a trauma you're sort of validating your own idea that you went through something that you now have to carry around like it's a burden yeah and instead if we can recontextualize and start to disassociate the event from the emotion mm -hmm. right so i really want people to understand that we all went through something now I, my mum, using myself as an example, died when I was seven of cancer. My dad went to work, as I said, when I was 17 and never came back because he died. Mm -hmm. Now, no one on the planet would begrudge me if I became um, homeless and a drug addict by virtue of those events, right? Now, that cascade into that particular life could only have happened if I was unable to process those events or I looked at those events as though I was a victim of circumstance and life is not fair and mm -hmm. fuck everybody, excuse my French, right? So that would have been a precursor to me wanting to abuse myself mm -hmm. as using that as the excuse. Mm -hmm. So it's very subtle, but it's important. If people can start to disassociate events from your own psychological and emotional reaction to them, mm -hmm. now you start to establish some freedom. Everybody on this call, everybody on the planet has been through events that were troubling, that were difficult, that were challenging, and invariably when you're young, that you just couldn't handle. It's like me giving a five-year-old 60-pound dumbbell and saying, hey, push that over your head. You right. just can't do it, right? right? So whether your parents separated when you were three or your dad, you know, went to prison when you were eight or your mom slept with your neighbor when you were 12 or whatever everyone's been through, then, you know, start to look at, okay, did that truly define me or was it what I did with it that's defined me? Meaning, is it the way that I've taken that and used it as evidence as to why there is something in my life that doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. and, it's, and to give people a clue as to what to look for, it's usually something in the language of I'm not something. Let's take a very simple yeah. example. I'm not enough right? Everybody can relate to the experience of not being enough. You were the last one picked for the sports team at, you know, junior high. You were the, you know, the one who was in your family, not as athletic as your siblings, so you weren't enough. You know, your best friend at college got all of the accolades academically, and you didn't, so you weren't enough. Everybody's got their version. What I want people to recognize is that is a narrative, it's a conversation, it's a dialogue. There is no trauma in the fact that you you know, lost the last game of like, whatever it is, I remember talking to Aubrey Marcus, um, who you might know, who did his podcast a couple of times. You know, and he's got a big platform, he's this big, you know, good looking, tattooed dude, and he was an athlete, but he got pulled out of a game, and the person he was defending ended up shooting the last basket on the other team, 
and they won. And he, for 17 years, took that as his fault. Yeah. Right? And yeah. On the, on, actually, during the podcast, I helped him to actually let go of that, which was so powerful. So to be able to separate the event is not what defined me. It was what I actually then took that event from it, which was, I would actually assert it was already in you. That's your karmic journey while you're here to trigger whatever it is that as a soul, you're here to reconcile. Now, that all sounds a bit esoteric um, and metaphysical, but I, I feel that we're all limitless beings. We are completely and utterly free, but we come pre-installed, so to speak, with our fears. And then life is going to just trigger those fears until we let them go and we're back to being free again. So yeah. the trauma part is, no, it's an event. It's an event. It doesn't mean it was an easy event. It could be a horrific event, but it was an event. And if you're here today, you made it. <laughs> you right. survived, right? right? And that doesn't mean that it was easy to go through, but there's some room to be sort of established with separating wow, I don't need to be a victim of my circumstance and my history when I'm here today. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm in one piece, right? right. Then the emotional, so, so that's the trauma part. Right. Then and I want to dive into some of this after you get what's that? I have all these my own questions. Yeah, yeah. If you have some reflection, of course, or people have, uh, you know, a um, comments about that. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. Let's just let's soften. Let's soften the word trauma, and let's just make it an event. Again, I'm not and not at all saying that people have gone through easy things. They haven't. I haven't. <laughs> Nobody has. So it's not to belittle the fact that there's trauma, but let's just recontextualize and go. No, it's something you went through. It was a gift at one level because it revealed what is it that you're here to process. Because it's saying if you attracted those circumstances, then at a deeper level you have the absolute capacity to deal with it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have attracted it. Right. Mother Teresa had a beautiful quote. She said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he wouldn't trust me so much. <laughs> right? So it's, yeah, so it's very powerful. So now with regards to emotions, so the ones you mentioned, jealousy, fear, and anger, they're all bedfellows. I'd say fear is really the, the foundation. Jealousy is more the, you know, the expression of, personified insecurity, you know, where you're not recognizing your own worth, whereas anger is more sort of environmental insecurity. So think of it this way. If somebody buys a puppy, who doesn't love puppies, right? And which puppy isn't adorable, right? That's just their nature. But then you meet a dog who's three, five, seven years old, and let's say you go to pet them, but they growl or they even try and bite or bark. And someone might say, oh, wow, that's a bad dog. Well, no, but that was a puppy at one point that everybody adored. So what right. transpired in the way that that person, that being in the dog was conditioned to think that it's scared and it's under danger, which means that at some point shit, it was probably mistreated, right? <laughs> so now you've got somebody who's barking anger, which is really a reflection of where someone's been hurt. Right. So the person who's angry isn't an angry person. They're just scared. And that again breeds compassion. You go, wow. It doesn't mean that you condone it or you just like, you know, enable it, but let's just at least understand that person isn't actually an angry person. They're just coming from a position of fear and anger is the way they protect themselves. Right. So I don't know if that's enough of a download for now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that it was, I mean, I love all that. Brilliant. And you know, so many things you said, I have, I have my own response to some of the things you shared and you were talking about compassion and love and kindness. It actually came up in my conversation with uh, Miranda yesterday 
we're talking about compassion and how it's almost it's easier it's almost easier to have compassion for someone else than it is for yourself you know and in light of everything yeah. you're saying right now and that separation of events and you know and and the emotion and i think that uh, there are a lot of people out there that have that's sort of what's missing for them is that have is that compassion and kindness and love that they need to have for themselves you know to know what their yeah. are and you know what could you how how would you help them address that you know first of all because that's really where it's coming from um in yeah. a lot of ways it's just lacking that compassion that you have for yourself because you're blaming yourself yeah um, it's not a victim that you're blaming yourself and in, in some ways you are a victim when you're blaming yourself right yeah. Um, how would you address that? And then, uh, and then once you talk about that, a couple other things. <laughs> yeah. So compassion of self, like we're designed, unfortunately, to, you know, in a beautiful way, humans tend to be off service, right? One of the ways that we um, get a sense of worth is by making a difference. And it can be subtle, it can be grandiose, you know, it can be planetary, it can be global, but it can be also just like, you know, you open a door, hold a door for somebody who's coming through into a shop where you, you know, keep the elevator doors open. You're like, you do something that has got like a sentiment of kindness about it. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. However, we're very poorly designed as it relates to like receiving. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Myself included. So, yes. Yeah, so if someone just gives you a compliment and say, oh my God, sweetie, you look beautiful in your hair and blah, blah, blah. Like if I were to give you compliments that you've done enough work where you can listen, but most people can't listen. They just react from a perspective of themselves that doesn't fit with whatever compliment they're hearing. Right? right. So if my view of myself is I'm inadequate, but I hear someone giving me a lot of love and acknowledgement, it's jarring to the way that I view myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so then there has to be this resistance. Some people will just, no, 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 you know, and they'll try and be coy. Some people will make a joke and say, ah, oh, no. Somebody might say, oh, you're just saying that because you want to borrow some money or, you know, what people yeah. come up with all sorts of bullshit versus just listen to what that person's saying. It doesn't mean it's true. Someone could call me a genius and someone could call me an idiot. Neither of them are accurate. That's just what that person's thinking. That's the power of listening. Mm -hmm. So. First of all, just to understand the way that we're wired is we want to be a service. Why? Because we want to be loved and accepted. We want a sense of belonging. That's prime as humans, right? We're doing what we can. People pleasing, perfectionism, all of this, you know, fundamentally, we just want to like look really good for people because we want to basically fit in. These are just basic principles yeah. of any mammal system where you want a sense of belonging. Yeah. So notice that and then go, okay, how good am I at receiving? How good am I at listening to what other people say? Whether it's like complimentary or it's derogatory, it doesn't really matter. Can I be big enough of a human being to actually listen to what somebody's saying and just be with it? It doesn't mean that it's true. And there may be something to say in terms of updating that person's view of you. If someone comes up to me and says, I'm an idiot, it's not going to upset me, but you know, maybe I could give them a little bit more insight to say, yeah, perhaps that's not an accurate view, but you know, have at it if you want. So. Noticing that first, and then secondly, one of the greatest forms of value, as I said, that we get is by helping someone, making a difference, being kind. What people fail to recognize is, as I can help someone else and get a sense of worth and accomplishment and fulfillment, if I deny the receptivity of that from somebody else, I'm equally denying 
their opportunity to feel the same fulfillment. Does yes. that make sense? It totally makes sense. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. That's so, ten hearts. Does that make sense? Because that was powerful. It's yeah. Really powerful. So to be able to recognize that much of my gift to another human being is not so much what I can do for them, but what can I allow them to do for me that gives them a sense of self worth and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that starts to turn around this compassion thing of going, okay, first of all, I'm human. I'm not perfect. No one is. Get over yourself. You know, and so embrace your humanity, make space for contribution, make space for receiving, and then simultaneously recognize that just as we get joy out of making a difference, we can afford the same sentiment to somebody else so that they equally recognize their own sense of worth. Yes, that's such a good reminder and such a powerful reminder for all of us. There's, I would say, and again, myself included, that it's harder to receive, right? To give, mm -hmm. and that's what so we're not keeping at the top of our mind we're not receiving and we're not allowing someone else to have that same yeah but i want you to understand the the root cause of that is we're not programmed to receive because the way we identify with ourselves is mm -hmm. through the lens of inadequacy and so therefore if who i am is somehow lacking a sense of self-worth i'm not actually programmed to receive because the way i view myself is i'm somehow less than mm -hmm. And that's where the lie exists. That's where human suffering is. If I think that I am somehow inadequate, then I have to develop compensation patterns. I have to come up with these sort of survival mechanisms in, re in reaction to my own belief of inadequacy. If who I am is somehow inadequate, where is the room for me to allow extraordinary things to show up in my life, whether it be as subtle as a compliment or a job promotion or just this miracle that came out of nowhere? Right. And that's where the power lies in recognizing that by design, we aren't a space for the extraordinary to show up. Right. Wow. I like the way I said that. I mean, <laughs> you guys, oh, I just got tingles yeah. from, from that. I, I mean, if, you, if that resonated with you, send hearts. That was so powerful. And yes, I had several messages asking if I will save this. This will definitely be saved as with all my videos. So you'll be able to hear yeah. that again. Um, Peter, what is so just to make it more powerful for people, so just mm -hmm. recognize in our humanity, we aren't the space for the extraordinary to show up, but beneath the obstacle, beneath the perception, beneath the definition of ourselves is the rich tapestry in which the extraordinary can show up, right? right? So if you get that, right. it's very powerful. It's not that who I am is inadequate, that I have to develop compensation patterns to try and make an amazing life. No, drop that whole facade of inadequacy mm -hmm. and then beneath that constraint there is pure possibility yes oh this is something i need to listen to again <laughs> i mean and that leads into the question that i you know wanted to ask you earlier that i and it reflects upon some of the other questions that it had to do with perfectionism and there was yeah. something that you said that was so it was it was just it just clicked you know when you were talking to audrey marcus and you said Perfectionism is a behavioral adaptation to insecurity. And I was like, stop, yeah. rewind. I'm going to listen to it again. Stop, rewind. And it's so true. And and what I wanted to bring up was that, you know, I I have been on this journey. You know that I've, again, I'm not this victim. I, I had all my surgeries. My parents also had cancer. You know, I had COVID. I mean, and yeah. where I am in my process, which I know is in alignment with a lot of other people's processes, that they're on it. 
they're on this journey, but there's still this need for, as you say, you still have this, I'm not enough. You still have, you still have this, these feelings of inadequacy, you still have the need to compensate. You still have these, um, these uh, resisting perfectionism tendencies. You know, I, I can say that for myself. That's yeah, yeah. It's more powerful when you say I because I don't have them. So you're saying you <laughs> still have, you still have. So the yeah. way I listen is so, so specific. Mm-hmm. It doesn't resonate with me. I, I can relate to it from my history. And right. I know that's part of our humanity, but it just doesn't, it doesn't sit with me anymore because I'm totally okay being me. So right. whether it's yourself, which is more powerful, or someone has a specific question, right? Did you see how language is so subtle? I had to help the, the WWE superstar I was just working with because she kept saying, well, you know, when you do this and you do that, I'm like, but I don't do that. She's like, what? I said, you said, when you do that. And she said, oh no, I meant me. I'm like, I know, but then say I. <laughs> do you see it's a way that we protect ourselves it's a safe space to speak yeah it is. i didn't mean to interrupt you but it's somebody you know people will get something from this because they're like oh my god i do that too you okay know, oh, no, interrupt it. me I interrupt me as much as possible it's always <laughs> interesting yeah i had a client once she said well you know when you're a mom it's and i said oh i'm gonna be a mom that's exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, i'm such an idiot anyway carry on no, but it's actually, it's great that you pointed that out because that is how people speak, you know? They say you instead of I, and I feel like, you know, when you do say I, it's that acknowledgement that there's this that you can work on or address. Um, yeah. And so, and I feel like that's one step towards the process and the progress mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, for for those, for, for people like that, you know, people who are, are doing what you're saying, they're separating, let's say, the, the event, as you say, from the emotion, um, yeah. they are trying to find compassion, but there's still, there's still that, that lingering inadequacy. There's still, there's, even though on maybe a cerebral level, they understand that we are limitless, right? Yeah. We limited us. We have so much potential. We yeah. know that on this intellectual level, but it's yeah. not fully integrated because the act, the behavior still reflects, you know, that there is this need to compensate. Yeah, no, it's a great articulation and that's why it takes practice. You know, like whoever, I work with a lot of incredible performers, right? Whether it be in entertainment or particularly sports. And these are the best of what they do. They're being paid to perform at the highest level, whether it be like, you know, the three Olympic athletes next year in Tokyo or the baseball, basketball, God, whatever. But they all know that they got to that level with an immense amount of consistent repetition and practice. So it's one thing to understand something which is now in your mind, you're, oh yeah, I get it. But it's another thing, as you said, to truly integrate it. It's then another thing still to become a living example of it and then eventually become a master such that you can teach, right? So I've been doing this for 20 years. It's second nature for me. I can still remember my feelings of inadequacy. I was called Perfect Pete at college as a compensation for the fact that deep down, I was actually pretty insecure. And I was always trying to, in a very subtle way, like make sure that people knew, you know, that I was good at some stuff or whatever we do, right? So I can still relate to it, but it's now transcended. I've integrated, it's like, okay, well, that was a boring game. That was exhausting. Why would I keep doing that? People will like me or they don't, like have at it. I'm still gonna love them because my nature is to love. When you're out of fear and you're not coming from a place of survival, then all there is is I love you, you know? Right. That's all you're left with. So 
Um, so I get what you're saying, and it does just take practice. You know, I can uh... practice though. That's what these questions are. How do we practice? There's a couple of stuff. We bought your series. How how do we instill this into so that we can so we can be like Peter? Is that what someone said? <laughs> <laughs> you need to get some bracelets. What, what would what would Pedro do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so practice is. <laughs> You know, somebody's all, like a lot of people ask for tools, right? Well, what are the tools? I'm like, well, I always give this example. It wasn't that long ago, a couple of thousand years ago, we still thought the planet was flat, right? And, and actually, there's still groups out there that are fighting for that, right? There's still people who argue that it's flat, which is fine. Have at it. But it's pretty convincing that we're on a globe. Gravity keeps us stuck to it, blah, blah, blah. But the evidence for the fact that the planet was flat was what? We look out, we see the horizon, right? It's like, look, it's flat, I can see it, right? So from that perspective, if I look through the lens of the world is flat, what is the ultimate fear? If that's the view I have, what is the fear from that perspective? That and I'm asking you the- That asking the group, you guys can answer, or I can answer, what's the fear that it would you fall off, you know? Exactly, you fall off the edge, right? So in that, construct in that particular view if i think the world is flat then my concern is i don't want to fall off the edge then you would develop tools to not fall off the edge someone who's super smart would come up with a piece of technology that was like a bracelet and that it would detect the horizon and let's just say that as you got closer to a particular point maybe it made a beep right that would right. be one tool it's like right. oh great you've got to get the latest bracelet it's amazing. It will right. stop you from falling off the edge of the planet. Right? Maybe some of them can create that as a business. <laughs> um, so do you see that would be a tool in that paradigm? But right. then what happens is you're like, oh, hang on a minute. The world isn't flat. I don't need the tool. So that's my work is why I, I don't necessarily give tools because once I show people there's nothing wrong with them, what do they need a tool for? Right? So it's awareness is the tool because it's like, oh, I spent my whole life thinking that I'm inadequate. And I can remember my dad said this and my mom said that and my teacher did this and blah. And I'm like, oh, I've been living like my entire life and I'm not wanted or I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I'm a failure is a big bucket that people get stuck in. Oh, I'm a failure. What are the tools for that? Well, the main tool is to realize you're not a failure. That's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> you made that up. Yeah. So I don't mean to sort of dismiss the giving of tools. I just want people to understand that when you realize this fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with you, then is really nothing to work on other than, like we said at the beginning, someone who's in the middle who's fine. Let's explore potential versus let's try and fix problems. Yes. Two different ways of living life. Most people are trying to get away from a problem and I'm helping them work towards something that they're committed to. Yes. totally different so yes. that is the tool so the practice is to answer your question more specifically let's say somebody wants to practice being more confident mm -hmm. because they realize that they've been looking through a lens of inadequacy and they're shy and they don't have self-worth okay great first you've got to recognize the way you've perceived yourself is inaccurate it's not a truth oh my god i feel so free great well go practice being free which would look like you know, if I'm a bar, if I'm a guy in a bar, then I would go up to a girl, whereas before it might have been too shy. Yeah, that's, that's a great practice. example. That's a great example. You guys, okay. no, 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 that's how you practice. 
it was that simple. It, it, there's no, it's not like Peter can give you these five, 15 things to do. No. But once you made that realization, then put it into action, right? So the question is, who would you be and how would you act if you no longer looked through that fear? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's simple. We've all been in a bar, boy or girl, girl getting picked up, boy trying to pick up, vice versa, whatever. If I'm in myself, if I'm inadequate, if I feel less than, if I've had heartbreak because my last three partners have left me and so I feel like the fear of rejection. So from that space, taking an action to go across the bar to a stranger and engage and have a conversation and try and get a number, that's terrifying, right? Yes. But then when you realize, wait a minute, what happened happened. My, the, the partners that left me was exactly what's meant to happen. Why? Because it did. Mm-hmm. get over it yeah is it true that i'm not a good person no that's not true okay let's remove that constraint is it true that i'm a failure no that's not a truth that's an idea great now we've removed these shackles that have held me back now you get the opportunity to practice the tool of let's go and talk to a human being and see what they say what's the worst that could happen i was already standing on the other side of the bar in the experience of rejection before i even got rejected Let's at least give someone else the opportunity to reject me before I act. Yes. <laughs> this is great, though. And, you know, we have a question that keeps coming up, and it addresses fear, but I think it's really related to sabotage. You know, that's a question keeps coming up and says, well, how do I get rid of the fear of going to do something when I want the outcome, right? Which is in and of itself, it's, it's, it's a form of sabotage or self-sabotage. So to say the question again, how do I get rid of fear what? So I'll read the question exact is how do I, how do you overcome the fear of doing an action that can lead you to an outcome you seek, which is in the way I interpret it is it's kind of a form of sabotage. You know, you're afraid right. of getting what it is that you want. Okay. Read me the question once more. I want to feel into it. Okay. So I'm going to read it again. How do you overcome the fear of doing an action that could lead you to an outcome you seek? And thank you for the person who sent that in. I know you sent that in several times while we were chatting. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you overcome the fear of an action that could lead to something that you seek? So, well, really, the action, so what's the fear of the action? So the action is just an action. You're just doing what you're doing, first of mm-hmm. all. So we want to identify what is the fear. So in this case, they become attached to an outcome, which is what humans do a lot. I have to work right. with this with all my pro athletes, right? Like, you know... I've got a guy competing in a PGA Tour event this week. And like, of course, he's showing up because he wants to win the event. But for anyone who knows golf, it's played over four days. He can't win the event today. So the idea of having an attachment to the outcome is actually a detriment to his performance because his mind is now stuck in time. So he's not in the present moment, which is the only place you have any power to perform, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So this person who asked the question, we'd have to go deeper and say, well, what is the actual fear of accomplishing whatever it is that you seek? So in this case, it sounds like what they seek is something they want, right? If it's something they want, it's got a perceived value. If they're scared (laughs) that they might not get it, what it's actually revealing is that who they think they are, perhaps, just perhaps, isn't worthy of that outcome yet. Right. So that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy Like if who I am and the way that I view myself is less than the perceived outcome, then it's going to be very difficult to assimilate that. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So how do we overcome the fear? The fear is not the fear of actually the accomplishment. 
The real fear, and this is very powerful for people to understand, is that you have to let go of the idea of yourself as somebody who can't get that outcome. Yes. You have to reconcile the view of yourself that is limiting such that that particular result isn't currently available to you. That's the fear. It's the fear is the death of the part of you that currently is the barrier to the outcome you want. Yes. Don't wow. say it's than that. So so that's the beauty of growth, right? This is this is what yeah. we're doing, this is what I do with anyone, this is what my Free Your Mind series is about, is to be able to identify. I work with four people in the guest sessions where you see me show people these constraints that then they transcend. So it's no longer me thinking I'm somehow inadequate trying to get a, a result, whatever the result is, fill it in, a partner, a better job, more money, better help. It's not about me being inadequate trying to get that, it's realizing the inadequacy is a lie. When I remove that, then the events just naturally start to show up. That's magic. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'm looking at the time and I think we uh, we jumped on and then off again. And I had, there's more people oh, well, that jumped yeah. on in the last 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so. So, um, <laughs> so I think we'll just stay on until Instagram kicks us off, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, we got like an hour, right? So we got about five, six minutes. Yeah, uh, we might have more because I jumped on after you're Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just stay on until Instagram you know, kicks us off. Yeah. So that was so powerful. And, uh, you know, you talk a lot about professional athletes. I would say that attachment is something that I talk about quite often with my clients too. And they're, they're not necessarily athletes. A lot of them are actors and actresses and, you know, yeah. people from different backgrounds, but it's all of us. We have this attachment, you know, or we, and that's something that we need to work on is the attachment to outcomes and where that comes from. So, yeah. And um, one thing that I just saw a couple of times that I want to address because they mentioned it a couple of times is existential anxiety. Yes. Thank you. I was going to address yeah. that as well. Perfect. So, you know, I understand what they're saying about existential, but I want you to consider this is a much more profound, you know, <laughs> distinction and maybe a little deep for today's conversation. But yeah, there's nothing deep. existential. Everything is us, right? Now we start to get into a really metaphysical conversation about like truly everything you're experiencing, everything you're experiencing is you. So maybe this person is sensitive, maybe they're very compassionate, maybe they care a lot about planet Earth and people. I get it, I'm the same, I'm a big empath. But everything that you're feeling, so if it's existential depression, people have said existential anxiety. So it's recognizing that's within you. Now, you may argue, but I don't feel anxious. I'm just noticing it a lot with people around me. Okay, well, then what is your opportunity is to hold a resonance of security, of trust, such that the people around you can start to emulate that, right? We mimic more than anything. People yeah. think this virus is contagious. I'm like, no, BS. It's totally like 99.7% of us. Even the CDC just came out with even higher numbers of survival yes. rates. It's ridiculous, right? So yeah. the real virus, the real pandemic is fear, yeah. right? That The virus to me, personal opinion, is the least thing to be concerned about, right? But what does get, what is contagious is the energy of mimicking. You know, I joked, so like they shut down sports stadiums because a lot of my clientele are pro athletes, so they were affected. I'm like, that's crazy. They shut down a sports arena because they're concerned about a virus being passed from one person to the next, which most people are going to survive anyway. Right. I said, interesting. They didn't shut 
sports stadiums because they're selling dog shit food, nachos, hot dogs, uh, sodas, full of sugar. And they're like, wait, what? But that's not contagious. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the most contagious thing there is. One, because everybody follows everybody. If a dad is taking a kid to a ball game yeah. and he's buying nachos with a big gulp soda, his son is now through contagion learning that that's a behavioral pattern that he wants to emulate. Yeah. That's a much bigger conversation, but you start to see, wow, who we are is who we spend our time with because we want to emulate, we want to fit in. So to the person's question about existential anxiety, rather than coming from the energy of anxiety, what if you came from the place of trust? What if you came from a place of freedom such that you raise the tide of the resonance that we all want, the vibration of complete security, real safety? Because this is a big question right now is, why are people so fucking scared of everybody? Because they feel not safe, right? Yeah. Wear a mask and whatever it is, right? I get it. And I will, out of respect for people who are very, you know, sensitive and immune compromised or elderly, fine, I get it. But for the most part, it's nonsense. But if we could actually establish within ourselves a feeling of real security, that my immune system is gonna take care of business, that I'm not worried, then that is something that people can start to aspire to and that's what changes the health of society, not because we keep propagating fear amongst each other. So mm -hmm. existential anxiety, I get it. COVID has not created fear. It has revealed the extent of fear that was already there. Great, yes. now we can bring it to the surface. What can we do with fear? We can transmute it. We can bring love. We can hold it just like a parent would hold a child who's scared. And so within ourselves, the fear that we feel, we get to actually make space for it, say it's okay. By, by design, we're all wanting to survive. This seems like a threat. It's really not. It's a wake up call to see that we have not been taking care of ourselves. We have not been taking care of each other and we have not been taking care of planet Earth. So right. thank you COVID for revealing how off track we were. Now let's get our shit together. Let's be kind, let's be loving, let's make ourselves healthy versus fighting externally as a form of reaction and go, no, wait a minute, there's freaking billions of viruses. There's gonna be others. I don't mm -hmm. wanna put injections in my body for every damn virus. I wanna just mm -hmm. be robust. I wanna be healthy. I wanna be in my own sense of security. Then you can bring anything to me, whether it be words or circumstance or virus, and I'm gonna to be totally good. Yeah, no, and I and thank you for that. And thank you for just throwing all that in, you know, in the last few minutes. That's something that yeah, it's a, a big reminder. Pardon? Yeah. That's that, a bit just, of a big down. <laughs> no, no, it's, and we needed that because it's, I mean, that's what COVID has done. It's just showed us where we can improve and we have the power within ourselves to make ourselves healthier. The people around us take better care of ourselves, yeah. each other, of the environment, of the planet. I mean, this is something that we, can do and it's something that peter and i talked about from the very beginning um and it's now like as you said with the information that's coming out from the cdc and all this place, it's just it's just confirming that you know these yeah. are things that we need to do that we can change that we're empowered to do yeah and this and, is this is the opportunity with you with me with our communities with this beautiful group here and i see some of the comments and it's amazing and i'm so grateful thank you for the love from everyone but let's really look at this through the lens of intelligence. Let's look at this through the lens of discernment. Mm -hmm. if, if the powers of be, and I'm not pointing fingers to anybody, but the experts out there, which wherever you are in the world, 
if they were really, really concerned about health, then we would be making, you know, uh, adjustments in the way that we support people who don't have resources, they don't have education, so that we can help them be healthy, right? So get rid of the GMO foods. Let's stop with the glyphosate that is carcinogenic, that's straight across everything. Let's stop with the animals that are injected with antibiotics and treated like with such trauma. I'm not, you know, I'm not a vegan preacher or anything like that, but if you're going to source something, let's try and be conscious in the way that we do it so that yes. then we can promote health so that we're all robust instead yes. of just making people sick because you're feeding them horrible food, which then leads into the cascade of now you have to take pharmacological product, products, which are compromising you further. It's a vicious cycle. And then yes. thinking that that is the healthcare system. That is not a healthcare system, that is a sick care system, which yes. has its merits. If I'm in a car accident, awesome. Save my life, put me in the ER, I'd be so grateful. But for the day-to-day -day things that people deal with, it is a complete disservice. It is the absolute antithesis of health. And this yes. is our opportunity collectively to say enough is enough. We don't want to be popping pills every day. Let's educate people how to get to the root cause, actually what's creating our disease, most of which is psychological, so that I can be a vibrant, healthy, happy human being, contributing to society, not in fear of some germ, and then listening to the powers that be that want to inject me with toxins as a, as a means of making money and sort of giving me some false sense of hope. Uh, it's, it is a massive wake-up call. I'm obviously very passionate about it. But I yeah. want people to be well. I want people to be healthy. Let's stop reacting to problems and let's start creating opportunities. Absolutely. Uh, more bombs, you guys. Are so, <laughs> so powerful. And I know that you've shared that, but this was, I mean, we have so many messages right now. It's true. Thank you for sharing that. Like, it's just, it. that's what people need to hear. So, you know, yeah. thank you. It's so beautifully said, so well said, and just, and just a reminder, you know, just a reminder what what Peter is doing today, that this is what he does, is just reminding us of who yeah. we are and, and yeah. who we are in our core and to kind of and dive back into that. Um, we had some people that are asking about questions about uh, your inner child. Okay. Addressing the inner child. I don't know if we have time for that. We're already at We're about to get cut off. My yeah, inner child, if my inner child is adorable, he's a sweet little boy called Peter. You pronounce it with a T with a British accent. He's very shy. He's the kind of kid who would hold onto his dad's leg and hide. And then somehow this beast Pedro got created who's just like dropping wisdom bombs left, right and center in America. No, the inner child is basically our ego. It's the part of us that's scared. And what it wants is to be loved and held. So that is the opportunity. That's what I spoke to earlier about the parts of us that are living from insecurity. That is like our inner child. So for me, the opportunity for every adult is to learn the capacity to love. Many of you are uh, the audience, I'm sure, come from a place where they are parents. So they have the actual literal experience of what does it mean to hold my child. Now they get the opportunity to do that for themselves, for their own inner insecurity. So that is the inner child work is going, it's okay. That's where humanity, we all by design are going to feel inadequate. Let's learn to love and hold that part of us rather than putting on on someone else as though it's up to them. Beautiful, beautifully said. Um, yes, this will be saved um, for the, I've had a few more questions. You know, if you maybe want Peter to come back on, let him know, let's see some hearts. Maybe there's another time that we can come back on. <laughs> um, have more questions, maybe after the series comes out um, or something. And just go sign up because 
if you get any, I mean, he doesn't post as often on Instagram, but he sends these amazing emails. Yeah. And you definitely yeah. want to be on his email list so that you're the first to know. But is there anything else that you would like to share? We have a please come back. Peter's the best. So many more questions. Yeah. yeah. No, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. I want to make sure we capture it and we don't lose anything. So yeah. I love everyone. Thank you for being with us. And um, we'll do it again. But uh, yes. we've we got a bit of work to do, but there's a massive opportunity right now for us as a species to become healthier, happier, more loving, more kind, and more compassionate. So collectively, let's start to raise the tide so that everyone can benefit. Yes, 100%. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate right. you so much. And okay, much love. See you guys. Okay, bye, guys. Thanks bye. for seeing on. Thank you.